Let's pray. Precious God, we thank you that we know that you're here. We thank you for the sunshine this morning. And we thank you for filling this place, Lord, and turning our hearts and minds to you through worship. God, we ask right now that you'll just calm the stresses in our lives and give us the energy where fatigue lies. And then you'll help us stay focused and listening to the words that you have for us to learn today. Lord, we're so thankful for all the blessings you've you've given us in our lives, Lord, and we are grateful. We ask all these things in your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here and being part of our service of worship today. It is a, it's been a good service of worship. Be, music was beautiful, by the way. Mandy and team, it was just, it really uplifted me anyway. Our scripture today comes from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. At the previous worship service, I got up and got ready to preach and suddenly realized my Bible was in my office. Uh, it's a little hard to read your Bible when it's 100 feet away. And so I, uh, fortunately, the scriptures that I was actually going to focus in on were in the sermon, so I just went on like I knew what I was doing. So right now we're going to read the, the scripture that I intended, the entire thing that I intended to read at 8.30. Here it is. Therefore I, a prisoner of, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. <clears throat> then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Let's pray together. 
Lord, let your spirit settle upon us as we gather here. Open our hearts and our minds and fill us with that spirit that we might not just know our own gifts, but we might celebrate the gifts of others and that we might work to unite ourselves to be one with you and with each other. Make it so as we gather here today, O Lord, and fill us with the wonder of your presence, for it's in your name we offer our prayer. Amen. Here is the church, here is the steeple. Open the door and there are the people. I remember hearing that little story, that little jingle when I was seven years old. I was at Vacation Bible School at Sonoraville Baptist Church when they, when the first time that I ever heard that. Seven years old, that was approximately 25 or 30 years ago. The reason that I'm bringing this up is not just to point out how remarkably young I am, but it's to point out that that little jingle made an impression on me even at seven years old. The pastor of that church was doing what we would call today the children's sermon, and the point he made is that the Holy Spirit fills the people, and when it does, the people become the message of God. We become the church that God dreams of us being. That's what we're looking for in this series that we're going to be doing over the next five weeks. The series is called Spirit-Filled Stewardship. We're going to be looking at the key elements of life, and we're going to ask, how would it change me? How would it change our church? How would it change society around us if we became spirit-filled stewards of all that we have and all that we are in this world? Now, just for the record, every time a preacher even mentions the word stewardship, somebody starts thinking, preacher's going to be preaching on money. Well, you're darn right. That's what I'm going to be doing, but not today. The reason that I am is because it's part of life. It's one of the key elements of life. And sure, we can't talk about stewardship and not talk about that. But the problem is, is sometimes when we talk about stewardship, that's all that we talk about. And that's not what stewardship is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be a spirit-filled moment when we see all of the gifts that God has given us and we allow God to empower us to become what God would have us be. Stewardship is about life. It's about life with God. Spirit-filled stewardship is about enjoying life with God, celebrating life with God, living life with God day in and day out. It's about allowing the Spirit of God to guide our daily lives, our daily existence. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts, to guide our choices, to guide our dreams, to guide our vision, to, to guide the future, to guide everything there is about us so that we can become more like the Christ who loves us. Back in 2019, we spent about a year developing a five-year strategic plan that we were excited about and the church got very excited about as well when we put it before them. We had just gotten started on that and had just laid the groundwork for it when COVID-19 hit. By the time COVID was over or by the time we were able to get back to church after COVID, it was very obvious that the vision that we had pre-COVID was not a vision that was going to fulfill our, our future 
post-COVID, we were going to need to do something different. And so we've spent a good portion of the last year developing a new vision for our church. We've reorganized the church staff. We've, we've added new ministries. We've added a new worship service. We've made some changes in the worship services that we had. We've added some new classes. We've added some new outreach and some new mission activities. We've formed plans for renovating our facilities and for upgrading all of our facilities so that they'll be more outreach oriented. The result of that so far has been that we have baptized more people in the last few months than we did all year last year. We've had lots of new members. We, our small groups have grown. Our, our worship attendance has, has picked up. We've added some, some home groups to our program that has done very well. We've increased everything that we're doing in order to try to make it more outreach-oriented to the community that's around us. This has been a very productive year, but there's one thing, one big thing that's connecting all of these pieces together that we still need to add to this mosaic of ministries, and that piece is us. It's what we do. God is calling us to touch hearts and to transform lives in the community. And, and we can't do that without expanding our team. It, it is not just the, the, the duty of the paid staff to do those kind of outreach. It's everybody's call to do this. Why? Because Christianity is not a spectator sport. We had a spectator sport last night. Fortunately, it turned out very well. It was a very good night in Blacksburg, Virginia. But Christianity is not that kind of spectator sport. God is inviting us not just to watch the game and then call in our opinions about it on Monday. What God is calling us to do is to get off the pew and get into the game. If this church, if any church anywhere is going to reach its potential. The members of the church has to become ministers. The crowd has to become committed to Christ. The, the audience has to become an army of love and kindness and ministry inside the church and outside the church building. This sermon series that I'm doing is called Spirit-Filled Stewardship. That wasn't the original title of this sermon series. We were going to call it something else. But last week, Rebecca and I sat and we had a very long talk about what does it mean to be spirit-filled Christians and, and what are we missing in trying to communicate that. By the time we finished with that discussion, I realized that we needed to be on a little different track with this series. Following Jesus doesn't just mean to look at what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and then try to emulate what he did back then. It also means to be in touch with the Holy Spirit in our lives today. It means to expect God to, to guide us in the decisions that we make day in and day out. It means to be so at one with God's Spirit that it makes us go and search for ways to represent God through our choices in our everyday lives, through the decisions that we make at work and at home and, and in church and wherever else we happen to be. Our scripture today points to this very clearly. It says, make every effort to keep yourselves united with the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. 
For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all, in, in all, in all and living through all. God makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. What Paul is talking about here is spirit-filled stewardship. We're called to be guided by the Spirit in all of our decisions and in all of our support for what is going on around us. Our call isn't to look for ways to be divisive within our church and within our community. It isn't, it isn't a call to try to figure out ways to separate ourselves from, from God's unified mission of the church in the world. The only way to fully honor God is to be so attuned to God's Holy Spirit that our first concern becomes how does God want us to unite and bind together for peace? What can we do that will bring peace in our homes and, and peace in our church and, and peace in our world? How can we work together as one body with many gifts so that we can be good stewards of what God would give to us? Spirit-filled stewardship comes from the Holy Spirit. We're called to be at one with God through His Spirit so that each part of the body can do its own special work so the whole body can be healthy and growing and full of love. God's will is for us to be one Spirit-filled body that has all of these unique parts and they all come together and they, they fit together and they work together to invest themselves in producing God's will, God's entire will for our lives. That is spirit-filled stewardship. And sometimes we get that stewardship right and sometimes we get it very wrong. Back when I was pastor of Cane Creek Church in North Carolina, I was sitting on the front porch of the church parsonage one day when this very old car pulled up. There was a, there was a man and his wife and their four children in the car. Husband <clears throat> got out of the car and he walked over to me and he said, Pastor, I lost my job a while back and, and we've lost everything we have except this car and, and the clothes that we have in it right now. He said, I need a job and I'll do anything. Do you know anybody that's hiring right now? I said, no, I'm sorry, I don't. But if you need food and gas, we'll go down to the store just below the church and I'll be happy to help you with that. He said, that would be a big help. I would appreciate that. And so we got in the car and we went down to the store and when we went in, that family started going from shelf to shelf and, and they started buying whatever they could get their hands on. They were buying cans of beans and Vienna sausages and crackers and peanut butter and two loaves of bread and, and the kids started getting honey buns and moon pies. They grabbed everything they could grab that day. Maybe two or three minutes into that 
process, the owner of that store, a little convenience store, just kind of motioned for me to come outside with him. And so I did. And he said, are you going to buy all that stuff? And I said, yeah, I was planning to. Why? He said, I think they're taking advantage of the church. They're just grabbing whatever's right in front of them. Why do those kids need honey buns and moon pies? That store owner was a friend of mine. His family came to our church on a regular basis. Earl didn't come. Earl was a closet alcoholic. The, 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 the family would come to church on the weekends, but from Friday when he closed his store until Sunday night, Earl would go and buy alcohol and would basically stay drunk all weekend. Earl was a friend of mine, but he knew that I didn't approve of the things that he did. So I started trying to explain to Earl why we were doing that. Earl just kept arguing with me about it. Finally, I got aggravated with him, and I looked at him, and I said, Darn it, Earl, stop. I said, these people are hungry, and, the, and they don't have a clue when they're going to be able to get more food. This isn't costing you a thing. I'm taking care of all of this, and I'm pretty sure that I'm doing what Jesus would do. And besides, if you would give them just a portion of the money that you spend on alcohol every weekend, they might be able to afford to get another meal somewhere down the line. And Earl looked at me real hard, and he said, oh, hell, preacher. I looked back at him, and I said, did I t not tell you the truth? He said, yeah, but I didn't like hearing it. I said, well, it's not my job to make you happy. It's my job to tell you the truth. And right now, I'm trying to live up to the truth, and I need you to be part of it. Now, go in there and tally up what they've got, and I'll pay for it. He said, nope, it's all theirs. Don't worry about it. I said, no, it's not. I'll take care of this. But next time, take the time to stop and just ask, what would Jesus do? That man didn't ask us to buy him food. The only thing he asked us for was a job. I offered to do what I could do. That's the best that I could do for him. But he needs the help in the situation that he's in. He, Earl looked at me and he said, you're right, preacher, I'm sorry. About an hour later, the owner of the largest dairy farm in our area came to the church. And, and he stopped and he said, preacher, did, did a man come by here today in an old car that, that, to see you? I said, yeah. Took him down to the store and, and I got him some food. He said, that man came to my farm and he asked for a job. And, 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 and he said that he'd just do anything, that he had lost his job. And, and I told him that I didn't need anybody right then. But he said, I gave him $20, which is all I had in my pocket. And, and I wished him the very best. And, and he said, and then I got in my truck and I started to the house to eat lunch. And he said, on the way, he said, it suddenly occurred to me that I was thinking like a business man instead of the Jesus man. He said, I didn't need another employee, so I told him that, but I've got plenty of work for anybody to do, and I can afford to have another man on my team, and so if you'll help me find him, he said, I'll give him a job, and we'll put him in the abandoned house that's on the backside of my farm. They'll at least have a place to live. He said, you go that direction, I'll go this direction, and let's see if we can find him. And I said, okay. We both started to our cars. Suddenly, Merritt stopped, and he turned around, and he looked at me. He had, I could see that his eyes were welling up. He said, it breaks your soul when you forget the Holy Spirit, doesn't it, preacher? I said, yeah, it does. But the Spirit reminded you, Merritt, of who you are and of what you needed to do. And I said, and it'll do that to all of us if we'll let him. I said, now let's go try to find that man. 
The hard part of this story is that we never found that man. We don't know where they went. But when we got back, we went our separate ways. And on Sunday morning, Merritt came to me and he said, I messed up for Jesus this week, preacher. I'm going to try to never do that again. I looked at him and I said, well, Merritt, I've got some news for you. You're going to mess up for Jesus again somewhere down the line because all of us are going to. But I said, the good news of that is Jesus is on our side. And if we'll connect ourselves to his spirit, even when we mess up, he can turn it into something worthwhile. Spirit-filled stewardship means trying to become one with the Holy Spirit of Christ and then investing in the things that bring peace. Peace of mind, peace of heart, peace of life, peace in church, peace in the world, peace between people. Peace for those whose lives are broken because their lives have fallen apart. Paul said, I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle and patient, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Humility is the ability to know ourselves as God knows us. It's the ability to, to realize not just who we are, but what we are capable of becoming both apart from God's Spirit and as part of God's Spirit. Humility in the eyes of God is the ability to be honest with ourselves. And then it's the ability to admit that we need a greater power than ourselves to try to make the right choices in the struggles that we have in life. We need a greater power than ourselves to guide us in our choices. Humility is the ability to know ourselves as God knows us and then to allow God to work through us to bring better things to life. Gentleness. Gentleness is the ability to be so connected to God that we allow God to empower our responses in the difficulties of life. Patience is the ability to idle our motors when we feel like stripping our gears. It's the ability to take a step back when you want to take an aggressive step forward when you don't really know what you're talking about. Church people and non-church people have at least one thing in common in their lives. We are all going to mess up, but I believe we humans are going to mess up a lot less and we're going to accomplish a lot more if we allow ourselves to be guided by the Spirit of God, if we allow ourselves to be filled with humility and gentleness and patience, if we allow ourselves to be a unified body of humble, gentle, patient, loving people who are guided by God's Spirit when we would have a tendency to lean not into God's Spirit, but into our own personal prejudices, into our past histories, into our frustrations in life, into our sin. The Spirit of God should create unity and peace in our souls and then in our churches, in our families, and in our world. It should create a Christ-like attitudes and Christ-like actions in our lives that should create the ability for us to know ourselves through God's eyes. The psalmist said, I praise you, O Lord, for you are fearfully, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God made all of us to be like him. 
God made you to be, to help determine what God would want us to do in our lives. That's what his spirit does. You can't discover God's will for your life unless you have a relationship with God. And let me clarify something when I'm saying this right here. You can know very well what your gifts are through. You can know what you're gifted to do in life. You can, you can know that you're gifted for science or for math or for history or for, or for medicine or for education or for landscaping or for architecture or for law enforcement or for rescue. For whatever it is, you can know what you are gifted to do in your life and you can have a very happy life by doing those things, by having a good career. But if you want to know what God is dreaming of you doing with those gifts, you need to be unified with his spirit. We're created for something special. Each one of us is one of a kind. We are totally unique, which means there's something that each one of us can do for God that nobody else can do exactly the way that we can do it. If you want to know God's unique plan for your life, then unite yourself with the Holy Spirit. Here's a question, folks. Have you ever done something for another person that made you feel so good you couldn't wait to do it again? If you have, then you've suddenly discovered a spiritual gift. And if you'll unify your spirit with God's spirit, he'll open the doors for using that gift and for bringing it to life. He'll even help you to, to discover other gifts that have come your way. He'll create a way for you to invest yourself, to invest your spiritual gifts, to become a blessing for the world that's around you. And he'll work through you to make a difference in ways that that you never imagine happening. This is a true story that I'm about to tell. I actually called the young woman that this happened with to make sure that she was okay with me telling this story. She's somebody that my wife and I have known since she was a little girl. They moved into our neighborhood not very long after we moved into our neighborhood, and we watched her grow up. Back probably five years ago now, I was sitting in our family room watching TV one night when I suddenly had this overwhelming sense that I ought to call this young woman and get in touch with her. I wasn't sure what was going on. I tried to actually ignore that because I just thought it was one of those foolish feelings that you have sometime. I tried to convince myself that it was just a thought that had come in my mind and I didn't need to do anything with it, but it just kept weighing on me and I kept having this sense, you need to get in touch with her. So I pulled out my phone and I texted her and I said, are you okay? And within seconds, she wrote back and she said, why are you asking me this right now? And I said, I just had this overwhelming feeling that I need to be in touch with you right now. And, and she wrote back in just a couple of minutes and she said something terrible happened tonight, something that made me feel that I was worthless in everything that I did and I was worthless to everybody. I was lying on my kitchen floor crying and I was wondering if the world would be better if I weren't part of it. But I guess God has a plan that includes me or he wouldn't have inspired you to get in touch with me right now when I was getting ready to give up. I can't believe you wrote me right when you did. 
The next morning, she wrote me again. She said, thank you for writing me last night. If you hadn't, I'm not sure what I would have done. I'm glad you were in touch with God's Spirit because last night convinced me that God has a plan for my life, and I'm going to chase that plan as fully as I can. And that's just what she's done. Hear this, my friends. Follow your spirit-led heart. Unite yourself with God's Holy Spirit and trust that God will guide you. Trust that God believes in you. Trust that God has confidence in you no matter what the world around you is saying to you. Trust that God can empower you to make a difference in this world. Trust that God has a plan for your life even when you're less than the best. Trust that God has a plan for your life even when the world is less than the best and it's and it's implanting that onto you. Trust God and follow his spirit. Trust in what he is trying to do with you. Trust God in the big stuff. Trust God in the small stuff. Trust God in all the stuff because he will provide for you and for all of us if we will unite ourselves with his spirit. This morning, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper that was a gift to Jesus' disciples on the night before they made the biggest mistakes of their lives. They were about to make choices that was going to wound Jesus to his very core, and yet before they screwed up, he gave them this gift. And he told them that he trusted them, that he loved them, that he believed in them, and he had confidence in what they were going to become through the power of the Holy Spirit that was going to come after he was resurrected. Today, we're going to offer this same gift to all of us, and we're going to come forward to receive it as a symbol of our commitment to Jesus. We are making a commitment to live out his love to the world through this supper. I'm going to ask you to come forward and to receive this meal. I'm going to ask you to believe that Jesus believes in us. And if we'll unite ourselves with him, there's no limit to what we can accomplish for the Lord of life. Let's pray together. Lord, there's not only no limit as to what we can accomplish for you, but there is no limit in what you will do for us if we will live for you. Help us to experience your grace as we come here today. Help us to want to be united as one with you. Help us to give ourselves to you as fully as we know how. Help us to believe in what you are wanting to offer us. You have confidence in us, Lord. Help us to have confidence in you. For it is in your name we pray. Amen. You please stand and come down the aisle and take the bread and dip it into the wine and remember. Let's, and now may the Lord bless and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace this day and every day, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you all.